this morning. Before we get into the message, uh, let us go to the Lord with a, a quick word of prayer. Lord, as I uh, think about patience, Lord, I can't help uh, but be reminded of how patient you have been with me. And I know many out there would echo my sentiments. The patience that you showed to me uh, in my unconverted state and the folly that is contained therein that you know well. Lord, but in your, your kindness at just the right time, uh, your son Jesus Christ took all of that folly and sin and rebellion and apathy that existed in my life and he took that upon himself on the cross so that I could be adopted in and my friends at home, those in this room, are my brothers and sisters in Christ would be able to say the same that we call you friend, we call you father. And Lord, the patience doesn't end there. The kindness does not end there. Uh, you patiently endure us during the sanctification process. And Lord, you know that that is a very slow process in my life. Uh, I think about the, the sin that still exists that, that grieves you first and foremost, uh, but also grieves me and um, hurts relationships in my life. Lord, I uh, ask that you would set that aside for now. Lord, that you would actually just set me aside in, in completeness, that you would speak directly to your people, that you would be heard, and that my sin would not get in the way. And I thank you, Lord, that you still use sinful vessels like me and like so many other people. You truly are kind. Help us today to grasp uh, these fruits of the Spirit so that we might display them in our lives to bring glory and honor to your name and that those demonstrations would also draw people to you. We ask all this in Jesus' good, righteous, and holy name. Amen. <clears throat> so, how you doing? How are you? I know we're asked that question all the time. Uh, I, I would think we're asked that every single day. Uh, at some point during the day, somebody will come up to you. How are things going? Uh, how are you doing? And far too often, we, we give a rather truncated answer. What is the answer to that question? Good, fine, I'm all right. But I, I'm honestly asking you that with, with all earnestness, because if we were together physically, that is what I would want to know. It, it's an honest inquiry as to how you're doing. But let me be more specific, because that is a very general question. How are you doing in your Christian life? Allow me to be even more specific. How are you doing in bearing fruit in your Christian life? In the Gospel of John, the 15th chapter, uh, John records for us uh, interaction between Jesus and his disciples. And, and Jesus says to them, he says, if you abide in me, you will bear much fruit. So my question to you and, and everybody that is here, and I ask this of myself, how are we doing in the fruit-bearing department? See, that's what this sermon series is all about. 
Christ-likeness in crisis. We're examining the, the fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Those Christ-like qualities, are we demonstrating them during these difficult times? We've already looked at the first three. We've covered love, joy, and peace. And today, we're going to look at the next two, which are patience and kindness. Now, if I asked you how you're doing, and we were together, and, and of course, I can't hear your answer, and I, and I can't even hear if you reciprocated, but being the polite person that you are, I'm sure you inquired of me as to how I'm doing in this area, specifically patience and kindness. Well, I will tell you. Thank you for asking. Not so good, actually. Over the last few weeks, um, I've struggled a bit here, and I'm going to provide for you an example. You might think that, that staff members here at Living Water, when we get together and we have our staff meetings, that they're just nothing but overflowing with the fruit of the Spirit. It's all love, it's all kindness, it's all patience and gentleness. And, and those are there, to be sure. They're present, but not all the time. See, we're, we're imperfect people who still sin. And so sometimes we fall short in that area. It does happen. About two weeks ago, I was the guilty culprit. We've been discussing plans to reopen living water. Uh, you've heard the discussion. Well, we're having the discussion here as a church staff. When does that open? When does that happen? When do we open the doors, physically gather together inside this room to worship the Lord? When does that happen? And when it does, what does that look like? See, I think the, the coronavirus uh, narrative has changed in the last few weeks, maybe month or so. If you remember in the beginning, some two and a half months ago, what were we all talking about? We were like, yeah, I can't believe this happened. Uh, you know, a, a, a bat. You know, we're wondering like, what, what's going on in our world? I, I got to work from home now. How am I going to do that? Uh, my kids aren't going to school. What am I going to do with them all day? How do I keep them busy? I've never wore a face mask in my life. I'm not a surgeon. I'm not even in the medical business. Where do you score a face mask? Do I have enough toilet paper? These are the questions that people were asking. We heard something about Zoom. It's going to play a major role in our lives. What's Zoom? How do I use it? Well, those questions at this point are old news. Nobody's really asking those questions. Why? We got our workspace at home. We're situated there. Hopefully, we have some sort of regimen uh, for our kids uh, to, to keep them on schedule to some degree. We've acquired the face mask of our choosing. We've stored up enough toilet paper until the apocalypse comes. And we're proficient experts in all things Zoom. But the narrative has changed now. What's being discussed now is, when do we open up for business again? What's Governor Wolf saying? What are the county officials saying? Who should open? Who shouldn't? Those who do, what precautionary measures should be put in place? Who, who's essential? Who's non-essential? Red phase, yellow phase, green phase. This is the discussion that is happening. And the way I see it, you basically have two camps, two camps of people. You have the confident camp 
and you have the cautious camp. The confident are like, yeah, we need to put some precautionary measures in place, but let's go. We got to get back to life as we used to know it. We got to get back to opening stores, turn that sign from closed to open, and get out there and get back to life. The cautious camp, they're like, whoa, hold on a second. Have you thought about this? Have you considered that? I'm not sure we, we have enough precautionary measures in place. Uh, and therefore, we ought to hold off until those are present before we proceed. Perhaps we're being a little too confident and we need to be a little more cautious. Well, this is the debate that's happening in our society. I'm sure you've heard it. Well, we're having the same, I won't call it a debate, I'll call it a discussion amongst our church staff that is filled with people of opposing viewpoints, differing opinions, different life experiences. We're, we're diverse on our staff as we are diverse as a church family. And the discussion is being had by people, I think they're in both camps. You got the confident and the cautious and everything in between. Now as a member of Living Water staff myself, I of course have the correct position, okay? I don't go to either extreme. I'm perfectly balanced. So if everyone would just agree with me, we can then have unity because I'm right. Now, of course, I'm kidding, all right? That's a joke. That's my dry humor coming through. But in our jokes, is there not a measure of truth? You think you're right, and whatever, wherever you land in that discussion... You think you're correct, I would imagine. Uh, why would you hold that position if you didn't think you had the right opinion? And so we think if everybody would just agree with me and join me in being right, we can then move forward with all solidarity and get back to business. But we know life is not like that. God made us different. We are a hodgepodge of people with, with all kinds of, like I said, different, different perspectives, view, viewpoints, opinions, life experience shades the way we, we think about these things. But this is exactly where patience and kindness need to come in. They need to come in at this point, and this is where I failed on both accounts a couple of weeks ago. We're in a staff meeting. It's through Zoom. Uh, it's about two hours and 15 minutes into the meeting, one of those long meetings, and I found myself yelling at the computer screen at a fellow staff member on the other end with a complete lack of patience and kindness. And I asked this individual if I could share this, and they, they gave me their permission, because this person is a friend. They are a coworker. They are a brother in Christ, and maybe worse yet, they are somebody that God has put in place and a place of authority over me. And here I am laying into them. Just exactly who do I think I am? And because this person is more godly and mature than I am, they demonstrated a different fruit of the Spirit. They demonstrated the last one on the list, self-control. And they simply walked out. 
instead of retaliating, and who knows what they would have come back at me, there's, there's plenty of things that could have been said, this person just exited the meeting. Now at this point, I, I'm filled with a mixture of feelings. Like awkwardness has set in, I have these feelings of, uh, really as a combination as I thought about it, justification and conviction. Kind of a weird combination bubbling up inside me. First, it was justification. You know, we're just having a lively discussion. Why you got to get all upset and leave? You know, it's, it's the Italian in me. You know, I grew up in a home where, where dishes were thrown and, and card games ended in fist fights. Right? We, we argued, we debated. Um, I'm loud. <laughs> My voice tends to carry. Uh, this meeting has gone on entirely too long. Uh, after two hours, I'm, I'm a wild card. I don't know what I'm going to say, right? It, this is, these are all what? Rationalization, justification, excuse making. My initial response was to defend my behavior. But again, as the awkwardness set in, as the rest of the staff members are looking at me trying to recover from this, God, in his kindness, granted me something called conviction. I started to feel bad. I recognized that I was wrong. I shouldn't have said that, and I shouldn't have said it in the way I did. I think my exact words were, I think I just sinned. So I had to reach out to the individual. I mean, before the meeting was over, I'm sneaking my phone and I'm texting them. Dude, I was out of line. I'm, I'm sorry. Uh, please accept my apology. And of course he did. Uh, we squashed it. We're boys again. Uh, that's, that's how it should be done. But I knew that day I was not demonstrating Christ-likeness in crisis. And because God has a desire to sanctify me, uh, uh, quite a hard task, I might add, because he, he, he desires that in my life, and because he has a sense of humor, he gives me these two fruits to examine, patience and kindness. So let's look at them in, in light of Galatians chapter 5, where they're both used by the Apostle Paul. Uh, Galatians 5, we're going to look at two verses, the verses we've been covering for the last few weeks, verses 22 and 23. If you're able to stand, uh, please do that. We, we stand because we're hearing from the Lord. Uh, it's just me reading his words, but we show honor to him by standing. Galatians 5, verse 22 says this, But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things, there is no law. Thank you. You may be seated. Let's begin with some definitions. If you were to do one of those like man on the street things where you go out and you interview people and you just ask your average Joe, hey, define patience for me. Define kindness. I think, you know, you'd get a myriad of answers from people, but I, but I think they would all fall under like two uh, categories, uh, you know, two word definitions. Basically for patience, everything would pretty much fall into like waiting well, having the ability to wait well, 
okay, would be patience. And kindness would be being nice. Okay, very basic definitions, simple, straightforward. However, the scriptures give us a much more deep, uh, a richer, more robust definition than that. And what we want to know is, how is Paul using the words in Galatians 5? Because as we read through our New Testament, if we come across words and, and we have a certain definition, but that's not the way the word is being used in the text, there's, there's no congruency there, uh, we're, just, we're just missing it. We're, we're not getting the intended meaning that is being conveyed. So this is where a, a Bible dictionary really comes in handy because Merriam-Webster isn't going to get the job done. So let's start with patience. Macrothemia in the Greek. Uh, broke up between macro and, and themia. Macro meaning large or long, uh, as opposed to micro. All right? Thymia would be anger or suffering. So this is, this is how we derive the word long-suffering. That's macrothemia. If you're someone with biblical patience, you have the ability to hold your temper. You're slow to anger. You don't have a short fuse. You don't blow up in an instant. Think long wick. When we were kids, we, we would hold a, a firecracker in our hands with a tiny little wick on it, foolishly holding it like this, thinking, oh, I'll have time. You light that wick, boom, thing blows up real quick. It's the opposite of that. Think long wick. It's the ability to endure suffering without complaint, I might add, for a long time. And the endurance here is, is more relational than it is circumstantial. And let me explain what I mean by that. Macrothemia, when it is used, it's not used in the sense of being patient during a trial or a difficult situation, which would actually preach really well right now, I think, but, but really the word that we're looking at in Galatians 5 is more about the, the patience toward other people. It's not the ability to endure difficult situations. It's the ability to endure difficult people. Now, before we get all uppity and say, yeah, those difficult people, how can we put up with all those difficult people? Well, you know what the Bible says? You are those people. I am those people. We're the difficult ones. So biblical patience is best demonstrated by God. He's the patient one. We're the difficult ones, and we are the objects of his patience. That's really the predominant theme in Scripture. Look at the Old Testament. You, you, you follow uh, God's dealings with his people, the Israelites, a, a, a stubborn, obstinate, stiff-necked people, just like us. And, and we read through the Old Testament, and, and if you've read through the Old Testament, you've seen this. I know you have, because it's littered throughout. It's a couple of phrases, a couple of little clauses here. It says, the Lord is slow to anger. That's a long wick. And he is abounding in steadfast love, long-suffering. If you were to do a search for those groupings of words in the Old Testament, you'd have a long list. Begins in Exodus, uh, in Numbers, uh, in the book of Nehemiah, all throughout the Psalms, Jonah, Joel, just to name a few. 
And so this is a common refrain throughout Scripture because patience is actually a characteristic of God. God is patient. Look at God in the flesh, Jesus. How did he deal with people? We could look at the people that he spent most of his time with, the disciples. I mean, you, you want to talk about a ragtag group of, group of guys that you know, are, are constantly giving him a hard time. Uh, they're, not, they're not understanding what he's saying. They, they didn't comprehend what he, was, what he came here to do. They're, they're, they're bickering. They're fighting. They're seeking prestige and honor. Uh, often they're faithless, lacking courage. When they should be uh, alert and praying, they're asleep. Judas betrays him. Peter denies him. Yet Jesus is patient. Jesus patiently endures them. He patiently teaches them. He patiently loves them. And he's the same with you and me. But perhaps the greatest evidence of patience, the patience of God, specifically Jesus Christ, would be seen at the cross, where he could call down a legion of angels to rescue him from that predicament. He had the power to do that. Call the angels down, the, 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 the angels uh, re, re, remove him from the cross and begin to torch those who have put him there. He had that kind of power, but he did not exercise it. That kind of patience is restraint that doesn't retaliate. So he is our model. He's our example. He's the bar. You want to be patient? Look to Jesus. That's what it means to be a disciple. You follow him. If you say you're a Christian, you're a disciple of Jesus Christ. You follow in his footsteps. You look at him. You study him. You watch him. How did he interact in this situation? And then be like him. That's what it means to emulate him. And so if you're in step with the Spirit following Jesus' example of patience, you'll see people as God sees them, not as a nuisance not as obstacles to hurdle over or, or push aside because they're in the way from what we want to get to. Uh, the patient person recognizes how patient God has been to them, and then they're quick to extend that patience to others. It means you're not vengeful. You're not always trying to get back at people. That person wronged me. I got to get even with them. You know, some people, that's, that's all, they're, they're always, like, somebody's always done them wrong. At every perceived offense, they're ready to pounce. That person disrespected me. I, I got to come, as hard as they came at me, I got to come harder at them. That's the opposite of macrothemia. And it's the opposite of what happened in that, that family dollar store in Flint, Michigan, that was referenced during last weekend's sermon. It's the exact opposite of that. This is the ability to put up with people as God puts up with us. So let's, let's pause on patience for a minute and we'll begin to look at kindness. Like patience, I would uh, throw the word love in there well, uh, as well. Love, patience, and kindness. The, the popular definitions of those words uh, they, they fall woefully short uh, of what the, the Bible's intended meaning uh, of those words really is. Uh, kindness is not merely being nice. 
uh, often we have this vision of a, of a kind person who's just, you know, they're always happy. Happy, happy, happy all the time. Always smiling. They got that permagrin on their face. Uh, frankly, those people scare me. All right, I, I kind of distance myself from them because uh, it, it doesn't seem genuine. I, I mean, it's just, that's not life. It's not, it does, it's not reality. It's not a, a cheery or bubbly disposition all the time. That's not biblical kindness. And again, that isn't even reality. The reality is life is hard and people are broken. And if you don't ever show it, I question your sincerity. There's got to be a time we break down and we just... How's it going? Terrible. Terrible. Thank you for asking. Do you got a minute? Can I tell you? Would you pray for me? Like, be honest and be real with people. You know, we, we, we live in a Facebook generation, you know. Uh, you can get fooled by Facebook. Facebook and Instagram, uh, they're not fooling me. Uh, a big part of my job is to deal with these people, and I'm glad to do it. I, I love the, the calling that God has put upon my life where I, where I get to sit with people out here in the lobby that pop in, and, and I can see it's written all over their face. They're broken. They're, they're, their life is hanging by a thread, and, and they come in, and they, you know, they sit down, and we talk, and I'll, I'll pray for them, and we seek to help them in whatever manner we can. But part of the, the vetting process, though, you know what I do? Sometimes I'll go to their Facebook page. I figure it's fair game. It's out there. You know what I see? Lots of smiles. A lot of, a lot of good times. But I know the real. I, I know really what's going on. Because the Facebook page tells me a very different story than the story they tell me through tears as they describe their life of pain and suffering. See, the reality is life isn't a bowl of cherries. Sometimes it's just the pits. It's a struggle, and we ought to be honest about that because then kindness, true kindness, can come in and affect that situation. If we all have a surface level of kindness, happiness, cheery disposition, it's not true, for one, but when people are broken and hurting, we come along. We got, we're the kindness people. It's a fruit of the Spirit. We demonstrate it to them in that time, but they need to be honest enough to express it, and so should we. Life is filled with grief, sorrow, and heavy burdens. So I haven't defined kindness yet. Let, let me define that biblically for you. As I understand it, as I was reading through some big fat books that Pastor Ben gave me, these Bible dictionaries, you'd think there'd be one. He gave me three. That's just how Pastor Ben does. He's that thorough. As I look through these books, I'm reading up on patience and kindness. Kindness carries uh, this, this basic idea of being useful, to be helpful, to be beneficial to others. It's not smiling at them. It's not being friendly. I do think those things, though, are part of being kind. I think there's like a broad heading of kindness, and then underneath that, there is a place for smiling at people and being friendly. Why? Because those things are helpful, and they are useful. It can brighten somebody's day if we just simply smile at them. Doesn't that do something in your soul just a little bit when somebody smiles in your direction, when they're friendly to you? But that's the heart of it, is to be useful, helpful to those people. It's a virtue that's concerned with seeking to do good to someone else and doing what's best for them at that given time. That's kindness. 
See, not only is kindness not equal to niceness, sometimes our kindness might be misinterpreted as meanness, in fact. Uh, sometimes you're kind to somebody, they might uh, interpret that as like a punch in the face or a blow to the head. Look with me at Psalm 141. It says this in verse 5, Let a righteous man strike me. It is a kindness. Interesting. Let him rebuke me. It is oil for my head. Let my head not refuse it. So what would be some examples where you're kind to somebody and then they misinterpret that for unkindness? I'll give you, uh, I'll give you a few examples. One is, uh, I'm sure during all this coronavirus uh, stuff that we're going through, I'm sure you're like me and you've developed a few bad habits during this time. Our lives are out of whack and we're like, we're not eating the way we should, we're not doing this right, etc. Well, that, that bad habit uh, infestation has is, is invaded my home. Uh, my son, Nathan, who's 14 years old, he's a special needs boy, uh, love him to death, he, uh, he developed a, a really bad habit, uh, and that is just before bed, he would eat a big bowl of what he calls cheesy pasta. And because we're, we're trying to uh, instill in him some independence uh, to cultivate that in our special needs child, my wife and I decided to let him make it. Let me describe how he makes it. He takes a mound of pasta like this, puts it into a bowl. He then adds about three inches of shredded cheese on top. He adds black olives. Don't ask me. I don't know where he gets it, okay? Uh, he then puts it in the microwave to heat it up, then takes it out, and he's not done yet. He puts on top crushed up saltine crackers. This is a carb concoction of epic proportions. I mean, it's basically a, a heart attack in a bowl, okay? And we let him do this. Now, before you call Child Protective Services on my wife and I as derelict parents, okay, put the phone down, don't call CPS yet. We put an end to it, okay? Somebody had to do it. Somebody had to kill these culinary creations of this crazy boy, okay? My question to you is, how do you think he interpreted our decision to stop this fiasco? Did he think we were being kind? Well, I'll tell you, he did not. I think his exact words were, you're not being very nice. And I said, maybe so, son, true, but I am being kind. And then I proceed to explain to him the difference between niceness and kindness. You think this sermon's the first time this is being preached? Oh no, this has been preached in the bongo home, all right? Right in the kitchen for an audience of one, Nathan Bongo. And, and, and I told him, dude, we're not gonna keep this up, but I want my cheesy pasta. Dude, you're not gonna have a bowel movement until July at this rate. We're actually saving your life. Talk about kindness. See, kindness isn't necessarily niceness. Let me, let me give you a, a more serious example. 
but it's equally true. The heroin addict, he comes to you and he asks for money. And you have money, you could give it to him. And I don't think it's very nice to withhold from somebody when you have something to give and they ask you for it. But what is kind is to say, no, I have the money and I'm not going to give it to you. You know why? Because I love you too much to have you shoot that up and destroy your life, okay? It, that, that is being kind. Uh, I'll go buy you food. Uh, I'll take you down to Hamilton Health Center for detox. I will do other things for you. I'm not giving you cash. But that's not what they want, right? But that's what they need, and that's kindness. It's doing the best thing for them at that time. And they might just interpret that as cruelty. Last example, in the area of evangelism. This happens all the time. Uh, I'm planning on doing an update uh, tomorrow on my website, bringingtruth.com. Uh, you can check it out. Uh, I'm going to upload a conversation that I had with two guys uh, named Will and James. Uh, Will is a professing believer. He didn't want to do the conversation, uh, but his friend James did, and he was not a Christian. And so uh, I begin to walk James through the, the Ten Commandments, you know, asking him uh, whether or not he's kept the commandments. And I'm trying to show James that, 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 that he, he's a sinner like the rest of us, and he needs to come to Jesus to be forgiven. Kind of doing what, what the Apostle Paul speaks of in the New Testament, where he said, you know, I had not known sin but by the law. You know, the, the law is a schoolmaster or a tutor to bring us to Christ. And so I'm walking James through this, and Will continually interjects. He, he's objecting, why are you doing this, man? Whoa, whoa, what are you doing? You're, you're being unkind to my friend James. And I'm trying to explain to him, just hang on, all right? I, I, I know James, James at one point turns to Will and he says, you're ruining this for me. Because Will kept interjecting. And James wanted to hear some good news. But I began with the bad news first. See, if James is not convinced that he's sick, He's not going to reach out for the remedy. If he doesn't think he has a disease, why in the world would he seek out a cure? And Jesus is that remedy. Jesus is that cure. And that's the best thing for James. But Will was not understanding that. See, kindness is a reflection of our God. Kind people, again, see people the way God does. Uh, the, kind people are less concerned with self and they're more concerned with others. People are not mere objects or, or, or means to an end. No, that, that, that's not how our God treats us. So why would we treat others that way? And we're to imitate God. And we're to reflect his same kindness to others. And you know, that kindness is designed to do something. It's intended to lead people to repentance. Romans chapter 2, verse 4. Look at it with me. If you remember one Bible verse, yes, remember Galatians 5, but this one is so good, so helpful and useful to us. Paul, again, writing to the Romans, he says, Do you presume on the riches of his kindness and forbearance and patience? Guess what Greek word is used there? Macrothemia. Not knowing that God's kindness is meant to lead you to repentance. There's an end game there. 
And, and God, in his kindness, lets us play a role in that. We have a job, and I think it's twofold. One, our, our job is proclaimer. And second, we're a demonstrator. First, we proclaim. We tell people about this great God. We tell them who he is, what he's done, what he is doing, and what he's going to do. So we open our mouth and we speak truth to people. And we're proclaimers, but we're also demonstrators, where we demonstrate the character of God uh, as evidenced in the fruit of the Spirit. Those nine uh, fruits there that are laid out in Galatians 5, that's what we're calling Christ-likeness. And so when people see the fruit of the Spirit on full display in our lives, and it's never 100%, I've already confessed my inability to, to do this. Uh, it's hard, but when we do it, and, 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 and we do this uh, before a watching world, you know what people see? They see exactly who Christ is in the midst of their crisis. And in 1 Corinthians 11.1, 1, the Apostle Paul says, he says, follow me as I follow Christ. So the, the perfect, perfect example for us to follow is Jesus Christ, no question. But like the Apostle Paul, there are other imperfect people that have, that have come later that have given us great demonstrations that we can glean from, that we can see as great biblical examples, really, of demonstrating these fruits. And I'd like to close with one of them. There's a, a Presbyterian minister who has since passed away. But prior to his passing, he, he made an indelible mark on our world. And you know who I'm talking about. Those of you who know me well, you might think I'm talking about R.C. Sproul, because I'm a huge R.C. Sproul fan. Not true. I'm speaking about a different Presbyterian minister. He goes by the name Fred, Fred Rogers. You might say to me, Mike, uh, you told me I knew who that was. I don't know anybody named Fred Rogers. Sure you do. He's better known as Mr. Rogers from Mr. Rogers' Neighborhood. And in case you're a younger person and you're not up on Mr. Rogers, you really need to. You need to, to, there's a lot of cool YouTube videos out there. I watched a few, like 10 things you didn't know about Mr. Rogers. Check them out. Let me, let me clue you in a little bit right here and now of, of this uh, man. He hosted a children's TV show from 1968 to 2001. Talk about longevity. And this show was completely unique. Uh, I, I would even say that there's nothing like it on TV even now. That, that's how uh, unique Mr. Rogers was and what he brought to television. See, when he was uh, just coming up as a young man, TV was really coming into vogue, and, and he would watch TV, and he, he saw what was out there, and very tame by today's standards, I might add, but he saw in kids' shows like people being hit in the, in the face with pies, and, and he didn't really like that. He, he wanted to do something that was more redemptive, uh, something a little more educational and, and wholesome for children. And like many of you, uh, I grew up watching the show. And, and many, again, younger people now uh, have been uh, turned on to Mr. Rogers because of a couple of movies that have come out in recent years. Uh, first, there was the documentary, and that was called Won't You Be My Neighbor, 
followed by uh, a regular film where Tom Hanks uh, played the, the role of Mr. Rogers. That one was called A Beautiful Day in the Neighborhood. And as expected, Tom Hanks did, I thought, a great job portraying Mr. Rogers. I highly recommend both movies to you. Check them out, perhaps on this, this long weekend. But Mr. Rogers was and still is a beloved figure. And this is just a side note, a little, little side note. A great byproduct of being patient and kind is that people will like you. You'll be fun to hang around with. They, they will enjoy your company. And if you're somebody that people run from and they don't ever want to spend time, check yourself. Am I patient? Am I kind to them? Mr. Rogers was truly beloved, and he was a blessing to be around. And I'll give you an example of how beloved Mr. Rogers is still today. Back in 1984, Burger King created a commercial. It was a parody of Mr. Rogers. It was called Mr. Rodney. And, and Mr. Rodney had the sweater, and you know he was just acting like Mr. Rogers, basically hawking Burger King burgers, talking about McFrying, a jab at McDonald's. That was the message of the commercial. It was actually well done, but Mr. Rogers did not appreciate this for two reasons, really. One is he never lent his name or his likeness for, for any endorsement reasons whatsoever. Over the 30 plus years of his career, never once did he do that. Not to mention the second reason is he's a, he was a staunch vegetarian. So this happens to famous people. They get mocked they get, yeah, and it wasn't really a mocking. I guess Burger King wouldn't say it was a mocking, but it, it sort of was, okay? And so Mr. Rogers did not like this, and there's a number of ways you can handle it, okay, as a famous person. Let me tell you what he didn't do. He didn't get lawyered up and pursue litigation and try to take down Burger King. He, he didn't take to the media in, 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 in outrage and attempt to flame broil Burger King and put him out of business. That's not the approach he took. Here's what he did. He simply called up Burger King in his sweet, gentle tone. He spoke to one of their representatives, a guy named John Weir, and he, and he simply said, hey, I, I don't appreciate the, the commercial. I think it's confusing for kids. Uh, you know, they, I, 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 I prefer you not air it. And you know what they did? They pulled it immediately. The thing didn't even run a week. Okay, it was supposed to run for like three months. They killed the whole thing uh, because uh, Mr. Rogers' demeanor was so kind and persuasive. The CEO even chimed in and said, destroy those tapes, never want to see them again. But like everything, it's out there on YouTube. It, if you ever doubt uh, there's anything on YouTube, like you can find this commercial. You can type in Mr. Rogers and Burger King, something like that, it'll pop up. Uh, it's there. Uh, but if, if you ever doubted how beloved Mr. Rogers is still to this day, you got to read the comments. These people are mad at Burger King. Man, they are just flaming mad for poking fun at him after all these years. I wrote down a couple of the comments. Comments included, how the blank did Burger King think this was a good idea? You leave Mr. Rogers alone. One guy, Daniel Moore, commented, check this guy out. I want that actor's name and home address. 
for a totally unrelated, nonviolent reason, I promise. Like, and that comment got a thumbs up, okay? Those are two people I never want to meet. Daniel Moore and the guy who liked that comment, okay? This is the world we live in. But, again, there's a better illustration, and this is found in the documentary. Mr. Rogers uh, had a way of combating racism. I love how he came against racism. A lot of people come at it. They speak against it. They object to it, rightly so, as we ought to. But how he did it was brilliant. See, during the late 60s, uh, despite the Civil Rights Act of 64, America still had these uh, segregation issues. Uh, most notably, it was in regards to swimming pools, where, where white people didn't want to uh, share a, a pool with black people. And it all kind of came to a head down in Florida. There was a hotel down in Florida where, where black people and white people swam together in a hotel swimming pool. That is until the owner of the hotel came out and attempted to put an end to it by pouring acid in the pool. Terrifying people. And you can see the image there. Well, Mr. Rogers saw this, and of course he saw it for the despicable act that it is, and he chose to do something about it. Again, he didn't call a press conference to express his outrage to this man. Uh, Granted, Mr. Rogers was gaining in popularity there in the late 60s, but I would imagine if this, you know, sweet-talking, you know, mild-mannered children's TV host was to say, hey, media outlets, I'm outraged by that. I'd like to express it. I think the media would have flocked, okay? That's headline news. Mr. Rogers, outraged, but he didn't do that. Again, what he did was brilliant. He took a segment on his show where he exits his home, and he goes into the front yard. It's a hot summer's day. He's got a, a little uh, plastic pool there in the front yard, and he puts his feet in the water to cool them off. And as he's sitting there, Officer Clemens approaches a black man, and they make some small talk, and Officer Clemens comments about how refreshing that, that, that looked. And so Mr. Rogers invites him to join him, to which Mr. Mr. Clemens, uh, he, he, he would decline the invitation initially. He said, I don't have a towel. Or Mr. Rogers said, well, you can use mine. So Officer Clemens takes off his shoes and socks and puts his dark-colored skin feet in, in the water right next to the light-colored skin of Mr. Rogers. And the two of them sat there, and I believe they sang a song about love together. And this was all done by design. And afterwards, Mr. Rogers takes his towel and dries the feet of Officer Clemens. Very reminiscent of what Jesus did with his disciples in the upper room. If you remember in John 13, verse 15, Jesus he washed the feet of his disciples and he says there, I have given you an example that you also should do as I have done to you. Again, all orchestrated by Mr. Rogers, all designed. He knew exactly what he was doing. But me as a kid, I had no idea. I'm just watching two guys uh, with their, soaking their feet in a pool on a hot summer's day. Yeah, granted, one had darker skin color than the other. 
Big deal. I didn't, I didn't even know what was going on, but so much more. So those images that I might have heard or seen of racism were countered by this right here. And this was his approach. I love it. And here's why this is a demonstration of both patience and kindness. Remember our definitions. Patience is bearing with one another. Mr. Rogers could have gone down to Florida and, and done violence against that hotel owner. And if you know the character of Mr. Rogers, that is just laughable. It's just, what? No, of course he didn't do that. He, he, he could have tried to shut down the hotel, put him out of business. He could have pro protested out front. He chose none of those. He chose this way. And in his patience, Mr. Rogers showed kindness as well. Remember our definition of kindness. Kindness is being useful, helpful, beneficial to others. Who benefited here? I did. And millions of other kids who saw this, even though we didn't fully comprehend what was going on. It was a positive example that is in now our memory bank because he chose to do this. Who else benefited? Officer Clemens. He actually wrote a book, and on the cover of the book is this, this picture that I showed you on the screen. And he says, this is, uh, his, his last name really is Clemens. So Mr. Clemens said this. He said, the icon, Fred Rogers, not only was showing my brown skin in the tub with his white skin, but as I was getting out of that tub, he was helping me dry my feet. And so that scene touched me in a way that I was not prepared Mr. Rogers' subtle act of kindness made such a huge impact. And that story is being told some 50 years later, and we can learn from it. But again, ultimately, our standard, our goal, the, uh, the perfect example of kindness, Jesus Christ. Where do we get our power? The Holy Spirit, who empowers us to imitate God and do likewise as Mr. Rogers has done. That's Christ-likeness in crisis. Let's pray. Lord God, there's, uh, there, there's no quick formula to this. There's no easy uh, ways to uh, step one, step two. Uh, we are to yield ourselves to you and to your power in our lives. I'm reminded of... Um, John the Baptist, who said, uh, there needs to be less of me and more of you. We need to be dying to ourselves and living first and foremost to, for you, but also for the good and the benefit of those around us. Reminds me of the, the VBS song, I want to be like Jesus. And Lord, I, I say that in front of all these people here, I pray that they would echo these words as well, that we would make our prayer to you we want to be like you. We want to demonstrate that level of patience and kindness to the people in our lives because you've been that way with us. Lord, help us to do that. We cannot do this on our own. In that same chapter there in, in John 15, uh, Lord Jesus, you tell us that apart from you, we can do nothing. These things are simply out of reach. We must abide in you and remain in you and I pray that we would bear much fruit for your glory, for your honor, and for the good of others.
pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.